0: I didn't do it, I promise. This morning we continue our study in uh, looking at this uh, wonderful, wonderful Savior. Uh, I don't think we can ever, ever say that enough about how good, how great, how matchless are his ways. The Lord Jesus Christ is, is amazing. And today we want to look at, in this, these few verses, understanding And following King Jesus. What does it really mean to follow, to follow Jesus? And I think as we begin to try to contemplate that statement, that thought, I I think there may be a few things that we should ask ourselves. Why are we following Jesus? What is the rationale? Why are we here this morning? Why do we pick up our Bibles to do devotionals on a On a Monday morning, bright and early, why do we take the time to research through commentary or Greek lexicon or whatever the case may be? Why do we want to know about this Jesus? What is our motivation? And I pray it is one out of response to how great he is. But not only should we ask the question regarding what is our motivation, what is our expectation? What do we hope to find? What do we hope to receive as we do all that labor? You're going to spend the next few moments, so use that loosely, listening to the word of God. What, What do you expect to happen? What is God going to do during the next few moments of our time together? I would suggest to you, brothers and sisters, that as we understand and know and follow King Jesus, he is going to not just meet our expectation, he's going to exceed it. There is one thing I can prophetically say to every man, woman, and child in this room today, and I say that with the authority of just having knowledge of life. Expect the unexpected. Now, we could immediately maybe think that that is some negative thing or some uh, calamity that may happen in our life, and unfortunately, brothers and sisters, that may be true. That's one side of it. But there's another side of expecting the unexpected. I don't know about you, but have you ever received a blessing that you had no idea that was coming? Uh, You received something that you know you didn't deserve, but you got it anyway. I remember working for the state and I was an okay so-so employee. But one of the things that's wonderful about the state and bonuses, we all get them whether you've been a good employee or not, and I just was thankful. Come January time, everybody else is excited, and so am I, the subpar employee. I got a check. I got a bonus. And I said, Lord, thank you once again for this bonus. My expectations were exceeded. Well, that's a very, very minor way of trying to express what Jesus has done in all of our lives. He has completely exceeded our expectations when we rightly consider him. John chapter 12, we are introduced to Jesus that we probably should have thought about maybe 50 days ago or so, today being the day of Pentecost. Uh, 50 days or so ago, we would have celebrated the resurrection. We've thought about that. A week before that, we would have preached this message, the Palm Sunday message, the triumphal entry message, as some have referred to it. In this section of scripture, Jesus, we find uh, it's the next day after the meal that he has had with, uh, with Lazarus and his sisters. He is now, in verse 12, on the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast. This is the Passover feast. When they had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches from the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Verse 16, John gives us some insight into wisdom and how he received it. These things the disciples did not understand at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that things, these things were written about him and that the things had been, excuse me, that he had done these things to him. So the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify about him. For this reason also the people went and met him because they heard that he had performed this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, this is a wonderful statement. You see that you are not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him. This is the word of the Lord. In this section of scripture, we're going to examine, quickly examine and think through what is the anticipation of the crowd about? What is this? Can you picture the farmer who was there and he sees this throng of people coming out and they're taking these branches off my trees? What in the world is going on? Who has such favor? Who has such honor that this is happening? We read that Jesus is met by this large crowd who we read last week, talked about last week was waiting for not just him, but also Lazarus. They wanted to do and have an interview with them. Help us understand what happened, Lazarus. Who is this man that has raised you from the dead? They want to meet and understand this miracle that has happened. They hear that Jesus is coming and they have expectations of what Jesus is going to do. Back in John chapter 6, we read that after Jesus performed another miracle, the people also surrounded him. After he feeds the 5,000, the people want to make him king. Anybody that can do that ought be king. Couple that with raising the dead We've got to make this guy be in power immediately. Their expectation is that Jesus is going to come and conquer. The Romans are going down. It's over. Freedom at last from tyranny. Their expectations are that the yokes of bondage are going to be broken. Roman who? Roman what? It's all about Israel now. That's what they're thinking. They think tight grip of the Roman leaders has going, is going to end. They express that in their action toward this Savior. A couple things we want to notice about Jesus in this study that they sort of understand but don't truly understand. Number one, they see Jesus is the saving king. The problem is they think that Jesus is going to save them from bondage. They believe Jesus is going to save them from the tyranny that has been theirs at the hands of the Romans. They're going to enjoy the freedom again that they once had. Hosanna means save now, rescue now, deliver now, save us and we could sit, rightly say, brothers and sisters, that Jesus is in the saving business, just not from the kind of salvation that they were expecting. They wanted political freedom. They didn't understand what they needed was from the bondage of sin. They're quoting here, it's rather interesting in Psalm 118, 25, and 26, because in the context of that verse, they are talking to the pilgrims that are going up to worship at Jerusalem. It's not really referring to the Messiah. But they're making it applicable to Jesus. It's really saying in in the psalmist, blessed are you who are going up. But they've made it applicable to Jesus. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, this Messiah who was coming. They add to to the verse the king of Israel, because they believe Jesus is the rightful king, and they've they've got it right. He is. Pilate was right. He is the king, just not the kind of king you expect. The kind of salvation that Jesus is going to bring, we've already heard about back in Matthew 1. She shall bear a son, and his name shall be called Jesus, for he will do what? He will save his people from their sins. We never forget that Jesus is the king that saves, but he saves us from our sin. Didn't John tell us that back in John chapter 1, verse 29? Behold, the Lamb of God takes away sins of the world. Not from Roman tyranny. Jesus is saving and rescuing individuals from their sins. See, the problem was that wasn't their expectation. They didn't see their need to be saved from their sins. They couldn't get that deep. They weren't that reflective about their own lives they were only looking out the outward save us from that now we wouldn't know anything about that in our current world right we wouldn't be able to think that deeply right we we, we don't look for peace out in the world right we're content with the peace that passes all understanding that rests in our hearts right we don't look for change out there we don't expect change out there do we None of us would think that if we get the right guy leading, everything's going to be all right. We actually think that if we get the right guy ruling, and that would be nice, that God's automatically going to withdraw his hand of wrath and usher in peace. Where do we get that kind of thinking? Because it's not Bible. There is no guarantee that because we get the right guy or right gals in the places that we want, I mean, even if they're believers, that God is going to change things, he could still bring about his presence in a different way than we may be expecting to. He's not here to usher in an earthly kingdom, brothers and sisters. He's here to save people. We ought to be about kingdom business, saving people. That's what Jesus was about, rescuing them from their sins. Not only is Jesus this, this saving king, Jesus is the promised king. Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on and it. it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. It's promised. Zacharias said this prophecy hundreds of years before Jesus would bring himself into Jerusalem. Greatly rejoice, O daughter of Zion, shouting triumphant. Your king is coming. Jesus has been promised. But again, he is not the kind of promised king that they wanted. They thought Jesus was going to usher in their kingdom. We're going to rule and reign on earth with him now. Now think about that. If the Romans are deposed, if other nations are deposed, what do I get to do? So if they're no longer in power and I'm in power... What do I get to do? I was once ruled. Now I get to rule. I get to rule over other people. See how it reverses? That sounds kind of nice, doesn't it? Wouldn't we like to rule over the world? Oh, Everybody's sanctified today, right? Everybody's really holy, not honest. We don't want to rule over the world and control the fate of others all over the world. We absolutely do. We'd love it. I, I, I don't want to say what happens all over the world. No, stop that war over there. Okay. Bring that oil over here. Now. I thought I'd at least get an amen for that one. <laughs> don't we want earthly kingdoms now? I want an earthly kingdom at 1031 North 7th. I'm not sure if I should have said that on the internet for everybody to hear. <laughs> That's where somebody lives Um, that looks like me, but it's a doppelganger. It's not me. So just if you're looking for me, it's not really me. Just kidding. I like to rule my own kingdom. Is that why Jesus came, brothers and sisters, to establish an earthly kingdom in the way that we think it? No. Jesus established his kingdom, which is unlike any earthly kingdom. His kingdom is made up totally different than any other earthly kingdom, which we ought love. I love this in Luke 1. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will have no end, but his kingdom is not like earthly kingdoms. It's not made up of one nationality or one ethnicity. It's made up of all kinds of people, Jew and, and Gentile bond and free, male and female, living in a kingdom that is radically different and countercultural. It's based on love for Yahweh and love for one another. Peace and harmony in its midst. Not just in its midst. It's extending that love to others. It's showing peace to others. It's a radical kingdom. It's a Matthew 5 through 7 kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Our kingdom is radically different. We look different than the world. We don't rule with swords and shields and bombs and guns. It's thus saith the Lord. Peace is on our lips. That's our kingdom. That's the kingdom that Jesus is bringing in. Aren't we glad to be part of that kingdom? We don't want to rule over people, brothers and sisters. Can I remind you what we're going to do later? Take communion. Communion. Some of our brothers and sisters in other denominations say there are three ordinances in the church. One, baptism. Two, communion. Coupled with communion is what? Foot washing. Who ushers in that foot washing, brothers and sisters? The Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we go and serve one another. That's a radically different kingdom when the king washes the disciples' feet. That's the kind of kingdom that Jesus is bringing in. Aren't we happy to be part of that kingdom? The world doesn't recognize and the world doesn't understand. How could that kingdom be so loving? Jesus says, I'm not coming to bring in your rule and reign over all the nations, Israel. I'm the promised one, but it's not the kind of promise that you think it's going to be. Jesus is the peaceful king. If we look at the passage in Zechariah 9 and read the next verse, Zechariah 9 uh, nine and 10, it says this in verse 10. Let me read it for you. Notice the language. This king who is coming in on the donkey? He will talk about that in a moment. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem and the bow of war will be cut off and he will speak peace to the nations and his dominion will be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. The kind of kingdom that Jesus is bringing in is one of peace. But what kind of peace did, do we need, did these Israelites need? They needed peace between them and God. Here's the problem. They thought they already had it. They thought they were already at peace with God. They didn't think they had issues with God. They didn't see that their deepest need was not to get the Romans off their back. It was to be reconciled to their creator. (coughs) Excuse me. Colossians 1.20, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his Christ. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Romans 5 tells us that we now, because of the blood of Christ, have peace with God. God's not mad at you, believer. God's not mad at you. He's at peace with you. That's kind of a big deal. Don't we live in fear? Oh, I blew it last night. I did this. God's mad. God's not mad. His wrath has already been poured out on that dear cross at Calvary. He's not mad at you. You're at peace with him. Jesus, this peaceful king says, Israelite, what you need is peace with your God. But it's not just peace between God and men, brothers and sisters. Jesus established peace between his followers. I tell people all the time, and I can't give you exact direct context for this, but from everything I read, I think it's true. The Jew-Gentile conflict was stronger than the black-white one we see in our world today. It was stronger. The hatred, the vitriol there is stronger than what we see in some parts of our world today. Make sure, because that stuff shouldn't happen in church. We shouldn't have to mention that in the church. Shouldn't so talk about that stuff in the church. Shouldn't have We do. Some pockets still exist, unfortunately. But that peace between brothers and sisters, Jew and Gentile, was not there. Jesus says, I'm bringing peace between all nations, all people. You are truly going to be one. Peace between his followers. I love this. Ephesians 2 verse 14. For he himself is our peace who made both groups, Jew and Gentile, into one. He broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. We don't look at each other like that. Well, I've, I've, You guys already know. Go back and look at old sermons. Man, if you see me as a black guy, I see you as your white man. We've missed it. You are my brother. You're my sister. Whether you're black, white, whatever you are, you're my brother. You're my sister. I, I, I don't know about you. I actually believe what the Bible says. I love you people. People that I know deeply like my brothers and my sisters. You don't want it? Come and get it anyway. Oh, the sweaty love. (laughs) Come and get the sweaty love from your pastor. we were at the park last week, taking our our grandkids down, and I won't embarrass them. Um, People are there at the park playing, and we come up, and I know people It's like, man, this big black dude, and hugging on all these white folk. What is going on? my brothers and sisters. We sat down and talked. They're my brothers and sisters. I don't care what people. People should find us weird. It's strange. How could you guys get along like that? How could you love each other like that? Let me tell you how. Jesus has established peace. I have peace with God. She has peace with God. We have peace with one another. What a wonderful picture. I didn't put it up here, but I think it's important. Not only does Jesus bring in peace between God and man and mano y mano, person to person, Jesus brings peace in our own individual hearts, doesn't he? One of the things that I've read, I won't harp on it very long, is the amounts of Christians and believers that are facing depression. Dark nights of the soul, as some would refer to it, through this COVID time of being, being isolated. Now, it was already it wasn't good before that. But COVID and the isolation that we all face to a greater or lesser degree, that really brought out a lot of darkness in believers' hearts of the loneliness, the sadness. And, and I, would, I would suggest, brothers and sisters, that Jesus is the only balm, the only salve that can truly heal that. One of my favorite preachers, you know his ministry, you know that he was marked by this. The Prince of Preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Says these words, and I quote, I find myself frequently depressed. What? You're the man. Perhaps more so than any other person here. And I find no better cure for that depression than to trust in the Lord with all my heart and seek to realize afresh the power of the peace-speaking blood of Jesus and his infinite love in dying upon the cross to put away all my transgressions. See, brothers and sisters, when that dark night of the soul hits. I'm not saying the situation that has caused that or is causing it is going to go away. What we have to do is try to understand at a foundational level, I am at peace with God because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has accomplished on my behalf. And it's not once that you need to say it. If you're like me, I need to repeat it. I'm okay with God. God's okay with me. I'm okay with God. God's okay with me. I'm okay with God. God's okay with me. I'm at peace with God. I have to tell myself, I'm saying it, but I want to believe it. Lord, by your spirit, cause me to believe this. Lord, bring me out of this, Lord. Don't let this consume me, Lord. You have to be honest with God. When you get there, and here's what's wonderful. His grace is sufficient. I wish I could tell you it comes lickety-speak, lickety-speak. It doesn't. And I wish I could tell you it doesn't come back. It does at times. Gotta go back. Remind yourself. That's why the gospel is not just for sinners. The gospel's for all of us. Jesus is this peaceful King. Jesus is the humble King. Back to Zachariah 9. Did you notice what he was writing? Donkey. Donkey. Now, I'm from Indiana. I'm a country boy at heart. I don't like horses. Uh, I, I knew a guy, and we used to play basketball a lot in Indiana, as everybody does. And he used to come up to the courts. And I was going to use an urban colloquialism and say his grill was messed up. His teeth were really bad. And I was like, dude, I mean, I mean you, you know you don't want to ask. You know, come on, you don't ask. Like, dude, what happened? You know, but kept coming up. It's country guy. Nice guy. Nice guy. And finally, I just said, dude, what happened? He said, man, I was feeding the horse, and, I, and the horse kicked me in the mouth. I was like, that's it for me. What other proof do I need? I got the evidence. You see what they do? This is what they do. Why would I go ride one? Why would I want to look like? I mean, it was it was bad. Wouldn't we expect Jesus, the king of the world, black beauty, a white steed? I mean, can you see I mean, it would be a beautiful horse that he should come in on. He comes in on a lowly beast of burden, showing his humility. See, they don't understand that in his humility, what that humility would ultimately cost. His humility was not to bring them into an earthly kingdom. It was to bring them into the kingdom of God. Well, how would that be accomplished, brothers and sisters? Jesus wouldn't take out a sword. As he says, I could call down a legion of angels to take care of this. What does he do? Philippians tells us he humbles himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, the Israelites didn't expect their king to do that. Can I ask you a question quick? What do you do when people disappoint you and don't meet your expectations? Married couples, you ever have a time when your husband or your wife, they don't meet your expectations? I am so patient with him. I just simply say, I'm going to wait on the Lord until he changes. Where's that person at? (laughs) I am going to bear up, my brothers are saying, I'm going to bear up her burdens with her. And I am going to stand by her. Where's that guy at? Most of us, what do we want to do when people don't meet our expectations? I don't want anything to do with you. Jesus is not going to meet their expectations because they don't understand that they need. Matter of fact, they must have a king that's going to come and humble himself to the point of death for them. Lastly, oops. Jesus is the proclaimed king. What do we see that his disciples, those who believe, do? So the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, notice in the English and the Greek is this continual idea. It says "continued to testify. They were continually speaking. They were consistently testifying of what Jesus had done. Jesus is the proclaimed king. He will, he is worthy to be discussed. He is worthy to be talked about. Notice who's not in the equation. Who's speaking? Is it all the throng, all the group that's part of that crowd? No. It's those who believed. It's those who, who were with him. They continue to testify about it. To tell Jesus. Talk about Jesus. Jesus is a king that we talk about, brothers and sisters. He's worthy to be proclaimed. We oughtn't need to say that, but I think we need to because it doesn't seem like Jesus is always the first thing on people's lips. He has done so much that we need, that we must talk about. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you even to the end of the... Age, John 15, we'll hear later. This speaks, by the way, to what we see back in verse 16. How are the disciples able to, once Jesus is glorified, remember the things found in Zechariah 9? John 15, 26 and 27 tells us, when the helper comes, whom I will send you from the father, that is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will testify about me. And you will testify also because you have been with me from the beginning. The Spirit testifies of Jesus. We testify with the Spirit about Jesus. Can't do it apart from the Spirit. Those who are proclaiming are those who are filled with the Spirit. Acts chapter 1, and you receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be, not might, You will be my witnesses. How many witnesses we got the Lord in this room going to tell people about the goodness of your king. He's worthy to be proclaimed. Last piece of this. This could could get very good to me, but I'm not going to let it. I love this in verse 19 because the Pharisees seem so desperate. So the Pharisees, can you just see their angst? Can you see them wringing their hands? You see that we're not doing any good. The whole world's gone after him. Everything that we have tried, we have threatened the people. We have kicked them out of the temple. We have told them that if you around this guy, tell us that we can come and arrest him. Everything we've tried, nothing can stop him. The whole world's still going after him. Guess what? You can't stop him. He won't be stopped. He won't be tamed. He won't be contained. You can't contain the Lord Jesus Christ. His work will be accomplished in the world. No matter what Russia does, no matter what guy we got in the White House, Jesus will not be stopped. The kingdom will go forth. That ought to be encouraging to us. When we look at the world and say, look at all the desperation. Look at all the violence. Jesus can't be working. Yes, he is. His kingdom is eternal. The mission and work of Jesus cannot be stopped. I love Daniel 27, speaking of the son of man who is coming. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion will serve and obey him. He handles Messiah now. And he shall reign forever and ever. Don't know what note that was. Luke one twenty three, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will have no end. Matthew 16.18, and the gates of Hades will have no power over the church. His mission, Christ's kingdom. So brothers and sisters, what was your motivation for coming here this morning? What are your expectations with the King Jesus that you say you have as your Lord? These Israelites, for honest, aren't a lot different than some of us, right? Don't we want Jesus for what he can do for, for me? If I come to Jesus, my marriage will get better. If I come to Jesus, my kids will straighten up. If I come to Jesus, I'll have a better job. If I come to Jesus, as opposed to, I surrender all. All to him I owe. Sin left a crimson stain. Jesus is the only one who can wash it white snow. The only position we have this morning is the, that song that we sing, I surrender all. I surrender to you, King Jesus. Have your way in my life, sovereign ruler. If you're pleased to do good things, great but I surrender to you. Have my life. Take it. Make it what you will. For your glory. For you and you alone are worthy. Let's pray together. Father, if the brothers and sisters in this room are like me... I'd love to think I'd be part of that testifying group. I'd love to think I'd be part of them running and telling everybody about the goodness of this savior, this king. But Lord, there's a part of me that knows. I would have been like probably the majority of the crowd who said, he is not doing what I want him to do. He's not going to take the Romans down. He's not going to take care of our people. He's not my kind of king then. Maybe there's another Messiah coming. Maybe the Pharisees were right about him. Lord, if I look at my life, that was much of my life until your spirit interrupted and I received and believed in the gospel. And Lord, I pray for the men and women that are in this room who maybe you are part of the crowd that has unmet expectations because they aren't biblical expectations. I pray that they would come to understand what Jesus has truly come to do, save them from their sin, give them peace with God. I pray that, Father, by your power, that you would draw them to yourself, that they would believe, that they would be persuaded in the inner man or inner woman to trust Christ, to surrender their life to him. For he, indeed, is worthy. Show yourself strong, Lord, in this place. In Christ's name, amen.